Are you pregnant or a new parent looking to ensure a better postpartum experience? Or are you a birth worker looking to improve your postpartum care skills? Check out Thriving After Birth, an online self-paced course by me, midwife and educator Tanya Tringali. It's 10 and a half hours of video content featuring experts in lactation, mental health, pelvic floor health, pediatric sleep issues. You also get worksheets and a workbook, as well as options to have a one-on-one session with me. Sign up at motherwitmaternity.com slash thriving, and let's improve postpartum care together. Are you pregnant or a new parent looking to ensure a better postpartum experience? Or are you a birth worker looking to improve your postpartum care skills? Check out Thriving After Birth, an online self-paced course by me, midwife and educator Tanya Tringali. It's 10 and a half hours of video content featuring experts in lactation, mental health, pelvic floor health, pediatric sleep issues. You also get worksheets and a workbook as well as options to have a one-on-one session with me. Sign up at motherwitmaternity.com slash thriving, and let's improve postpartum care together. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me for season three. I just want to give you guys a little sense of where we're going this season. We've got some really awesome guests. So we've got six clients sharing their stories, um, all kinds of different things. Um, And we have more midwives coming on sharing their unique specialties. So one is a psychiatric nurse practitioner in addition to being a midwife. Another is a diabetes specialist in addition to being a midwife. Um, Another runs a company that offers doula trainings and certifications, and she also has a national directory where she connects consumers of color to providers of color throughout the country, which is super cool. We've actually got a bunch of chiropractors coming on this season. It's a coincidence. Um, Well, it's only two, but it's, well, three. One, and then a, a husband and wife team. So we've got one who works with pregnant and postpartum athletes. She's a CrossFitter, and she's going to talk all about postpartum recovery. We're going to break it down nitty-gritty. Um, and then the husband and wife team, they specialize in infant development, and they're going to share some amazing things. We're all going to do a lot of learning in that one. Um, let's see what else. We also have a home birth story being told by the birthing person and her midwife together at the same time. Oh, and Rachel Mast, who I think you'll remember from season one, the midwife who is also a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach who was suffering from hyperemesis when we spoke to her. She's coming back to share her birth story and provide updates on her personal postpartum return to fitness. It'll be fun to connect the dots with her in terms of the teaching that she has been providing other people and now reflecting that back on herself. So super excited about what's to come in the season. On a completely unrelated note, I just want to clue you guys into the fact that I'm going to be making some quality improvements this season. They may not be super apparent in the first few episodes, but a dear friend of mine uh, who is a podcast producer, and she's so smart and she knows so much, she is helping me out, showing me the ropes, helping me figure out how to take this to the next level. Um, And we're kind of doing a little bit of an exchange. I'm, I'm helping her with some healthcare stuff where I think that more consistent care and 
daily interaction can be very helpful. Uh, so we're doing a little bit of a swap and we'll give you some updates on that as we go through the season. Um, Anyway, she is going to help me with not only sound quality, but just the structure of this show. So after a few weeks, hopefully you'll start to hear and feel some differences. I'll tell you one thing right out of the gate, uh, just to put this in perspective. Uh, I've recorded 24 episodes as of now uh, from season one and season two. And I've been talking into a microphone that I purchased. And not one of those times has that microphone actually been working. I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't know what it was. So thanks to Maria, I'm finally speaking into a microphone. <laughs> All right. So onward with the show for today. My guest is Kristen Ross. She's a client who I cared for in the heat of the pandemic through a somewhat complicated twin pregnancy to get her settled for the postpartum period. Um, she's got a lot of interesting parts of her story, but today we're trying to stay somewhat focused on her journey to becoming an exclusive pumper, something I just don't think gets talked about enough. She was so innovative in her approach, and I wanted her to come on and talk about it today. And also, she's decided to join the birth world as a postpartum doula, and I'm super excited to have her become part of this world. So, uh, Without further ado, welcome to Kristen Ross. Kristen, thank you so much for talking to me today. Yes, of course. I'm so happy to be here. Kristen, do me a favor and just, I, I know I already gave you a little bit of an intro, but I want you to tell our listeners what you feel comfortable sharing about yourself and about your journey, just a little intro, and then we'll kind of dive in a little more systematically to your very interesting story and ongoing journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I am Kristen Ross. I'm a uh, former client of Tanya's um, who helped me virtually during my postpartum time. I have 16-month-old identical twin girls. Um, so I am 16 months postpartum. And um, and through this very complicated journey of a very high-risk twin pregnancy and uh, having babies in the midst of a pandemic and, and all that good stuff. I have learned a lot about, <laughs> about, um, about the transition into motherhood and all that good stuff. And, um, yeah, and it's inspired me to, uh, join up in the birth world myself as a postpartum doula. So I'm in the process of, of, um, starting my practice with that, which I'm very excited about. Um, so I'm based in Los Angeles. I live here with my partner and my two babies and, um, and my cat. And that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> awesome. Well, you just touched on so many of the reasons that I wanted you to come on today. I think the only thing you didn't touch on, which we will dive into for sure, is you have one of the most fascinating stories of becoming like the master of all exclusive pumpers for twins, yes. <laughs> which we will definitely dive into. Yes. Um, so, okay. Um, I would like to start off just having you revisit, and I don't know how often you've done this. It's funny because as I'm asking you this question, I'm remembering that I sent you a link to um, one of my colleagues and friends, Carrie, she's a doula. She is also a writer and she has this course to help people write their birth stories. And I remember that you bought that. I just thought of it as I'm about to ask you to recount a little bit about your pregnancy and your birth. Um, yeah, so here you I am asking you, 
you want to ask me if I've completed that yet? <laughs> no, I actually, I'm just remembering that that happened. So here I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing your answer is no, by the way, you just said no. that. <laughs> no. so, I, had a, I had a really firm goal that I was like, I want to do this before my babies turn one. And then that came and went very quickly. So but the reason, <laughs> the reason I wasn't going to ask you if you've completed that is because my question actually was, I don't know how much you sit around and think about that part of it. Mm -hmm. I assume you think about it a lot because you've had such a big transition. Uh, also who you are professionally in a certain sense at this point. So I assume you think about it a lot, but I don't know whether your thoughts focus more on the transition to motherhood or if you really do think about what you experienced during the pregnancy, during the birth and all that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, I'm curious how much time you spend on that in your own private mind. Um, but yeah, let's unpack a little bit of that. Yeah, so it's interesting. I have a handful of friends who are pregnant right now. So of course, they're thinking a lot about birthing and that whole process. So that has caused me to, you know, think back a little bit more on my time. However, I had like a scheduled C-section that was really essential for the safe delivery of my babies and safe survival of me. And so, you know, I just feel like there were so many things around that birthing space that were just kind of decided for me. And, and I felt very at peace with that, right? And so I don't spend a ton of time reflecting on that actual birthing process because so much of it was just like, yeah, it was what it was. And there was, like, I thought I was really well prepared. It still was a really shocking experience. But, you know, like, I, there isn't anything I'd go back and do differently because, you know, I think I walked in as best as I could. I do spend a lot of time, though, thinking about those early postpartum days since I am, you know, in this, like, postpartum doula world now and just thinking through, um, yeah, how, like, I really didn't, I didn't do any real preparation for the postpartum time as far as, like, reading books and, like, all that kind of stuff. I did a lot of that with pregnancy and, I mean, you know, I, like, took like any online course that someone threw my direction. I'm obsessed with online courses that people offer, but I, you know, there's so much reading that I'm doing now, um, and work that I'm doing associated with, you know, all the training that I'm completing that I'm just like, wow, like this is a totally different mindset than what I was walking into. I walked in saying like, I hired Tanya, so that's it. <laughs> right? It was like, like, that's all the work I'm going to do. I hired Tanya. She's going to help me get through it. And like, things are going to be okay. But I'm going back and doing all this research now and saying like, wow, I'm so glad I didn't do any of this work before because I was having babies peak pandemic early vaccine when it was like just medical professionals who were getting vaccinated at the time. I was able to get vaccinated when my babies were like two months old, maybe because I was an educator. And so I, you know, got to be in one of the earlier cohorts, but you know, like we're in LA, like it's a hot spot of COVID. Like it was, there were some real peaks around the time the babies were being born. So we were not comfortable with anyone coming into our house. And so it really was just like me and my partner and my babies and that was it. And so like I've been reading all of this, you know, all these books, like the first 40 days, you know, like all this stuff. And I'm just like, 
I would have been so depressed. Like, I would have, like, you know what I mean? Like, it was just such a totally different time and totally different experience and even different than what I would do now, you know, now that I'm vaccinated. And also, my babies are vaccinated. They, I've enrolled them in a trial and they're fully vaccinated. I'm so excited. I know. I love that I get to keep up with your amazing Instagram stories and oh, keep up on all these little yes. developments. So I, I was aware of that. But yeah, that's, so we're that's a fully vaccinated cool. family. Like, my comfort level with all that stuff is just so different now so I do think a lot back on those early postpartum days and how differently I would do it now um given a different situation but how like I still wouldn't have done it any differently then right like I was working with the tools I had at the moment and it was the right thing to do at the moment um but yeah it's, it's just uh, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on that the past few weeks yeah I mean the I don't know I, I kind of want to challenge a piece of this and say because I now I can ask you to wear like your personal hat and your professional hat at the same time you can always look at it and say oh there's all this stuff I didn't learn right but then there's another part of me that thinks that sometimes people take it too far and learn too much or wish they had learned too much and it's not always helpful it can anxiety can be get more anxiety and so it's a really slippery slope to find a baseline for the average person of what you think the highlights are that everyone should know and then really kind of tune into an individual and give them the little bit of extra they need without saying what's too much so for instance in your situation you know again you're the only one who can tell me if this is accurate or not I feel like you hit a relatively nice sweet spot. I can see how you might be thinking about that differently as you continue to learn, but you had so much going on between the pandemic and a high-risk twin pregnancy, which just for our listeners' sake, she had mono-dye twins, which I'll unpack a little bit further in show notes and such, but just so that everybody understands what this means, when we talk about someone's water breaking... Um, we think of that as like one sack, but really it's got two layers to it. And we call those layers the amnion and the chorion. And so her twins shared one layer, but not the other, which is actually a little bit safer than another kind of twins where they can live together in both sacks, where they can literally wrap up around each other and all of that. So she did have a separation, but she also only had one placenta. And so she ended up having this other complication that's called TAPS, which stands for twin anemia polycythemia sequence. How's that for a mouthful? Um, For our healthcare providers listening, I actually didn't know that phrase. I had to look it up when I met Kristen, but I very quickly understood that it's another form of twin to twin transfusion. And it's just one where you don't see this uh, presentation of oligohydramnios, meaning too little fluid in one sac and polyhydramnios, too much fluid in the other sac. It's just much more focused on hemoglobin levels that are different in the babies. So Kristen, just for some background, had all of this going on and all of this intensive monitoring, not knowing the timing of her birth, mm-hmm. right? So we started working together early not knowing and really how much can you put on someone (laughs) so we were just kind of in the moment planning things that were I think very COVID specific stuff because it was the heat of it so we couldn't dig deep into other stuff we just kind of had to trust that we would deal with what came up together yep and I wonder you know what specific things maybe you personally feel like 
you wish you, you truly wish you had known, but then I want you to almost apply that to your future clients and, you know, how you would play that out for yourself as the professional on the other side of the situation. Yeah, I think one of the major things that sticks with, again, and like I come to this with a very zen understanding of like, it was what it was, like I have no regrets on how we did anything, et cetera, et cetera. But um, one thing that does stick with me is just the, I think the concept of, you know, all these like indigenous practices in various cultures around the world of like that first 40 days of rest, that like four to six weeks of rest of where, you know, uh, you know, it really is expected that the mother is like at home with their baby being cared for by other people very little movement, like, no, you know what I mean? There's, like, you're not expected to pack up your baby and go out to a restaurant, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's really meant to be a time of seclusion and enclosure so that mother can focus on healing, mother can focus on feeding baby, um, you know, all these sorts of things. So I think for me, like, I just wasn't familiar with those concepts, and I think I listened too much to, like, the medical industrial complex side saying like the best thing to do after a c-section is get up and move right and like everyone was like I was doing laps around the maternity ward after my c-section like all that kind of stuff so I think I internalized that message too much and less of the restful message and so I was you know like I had a very rough recovery from my c-section and a lot of nerve pain that went along with that which made it very difficult to move and in my mind it was like but I gotta push through right (laughs) it's like like I gotta stand up and change this baby's diaper whereas like I should have made Blake do everything like Blake could have done everything he already did mostly everything (laughs) but like I really you know I really was just like convinced that like I had to keep movement as a part of my recovery process in those early days when movement was so, so challenging and hard. And I wish I would have just given myself a little bit more grace to lean into that rest and the idea that, like, I can spend this entire time, like, in a laying position with people handing me babies and, like, that is okay, you know? (laughs) Yeah, you're bringing up a really good point about how we can send mixed messages to people because on one hand, the medical part of my brain is being very consciously reminded right now that we do want people to move, especially after a C-section, because we want to prevent blood clots. With that said, we certainly don't want people leaving with the expectation that they should be like running marathons, right? So all things need balance and (laughs) unpacking um, and decisions around when is it appropriate to you know, start thinking about leaving your house. And the other piece here that I think you just touched on, but I don't know that our listeners really picked up on, Kristen also has a history of, is it chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, or both? I can't remember. So fibromyalgia is my main diagnosis, and then I also have a diagnosis of undifferentiated connective tissue disease, which, like, lives in the, like, autoimmune category. Got it. So some of what Kristen's talking about. Pain, joint pain, all that sort of stuff. Exactly. So some of what Kristen's talking about for herself and her experience is related to these underlying diagnoses and not necessarily something that everybody would have experienced who doesn't have them. Um, And I've watched a lot of people recover from C-sections and I've taken care of a number of people who have chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. And I definitely see this burden, even from vaginal deliveries, just recovery in general tends to hit people harder who have these underlying diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So you were up against like, these challenges for yourself and still the messages that got in from the world around you it wasn't enough to offset that 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be so interesting watching you work with people and have all of these things, printables underlying the work that you do. I'm so excited for you. Um, mm-hmm. So, all right. So the recovery was difficult. You also had some interesting professional changes happen. So I think everybody's gotten the gist that you have decided that you want to do postpartum doula work. Uh, But tell people a little Mm -hmm. bit about what was going on for you in your life professionally and where you thought you would land and how that would unfurl for you and then what ended up happening. Yeah, so I have spent most of my career in education. Um, I started off as a teacher. I was a music teacher. um, And then I moved kind of into the administrative world. And so I worked um, as the director of a school in Brooklyn for a handful of years. And then when I moved out to LA, I transitioned in the private sector for a little bit, but then came back into education working in operations. So I managed operations for a handful of schools down in South LA. So um, really loved that work, loved that job, and uh, was fully planning on going back to it part-time after I was done with the babies. And it was mostly because I was still living in the very uncertain COVID world of, you know, I really didn't love the idea of sending my babies to daycare when, you know, COVID is still so rampant, all that sort of stuff. So I knew that I wasn't going to be able to transition back full-time very easily. And then as the date approached for me to go back to work, I was like, oh, do I want to do this? (laughs) And I kind of, you know, just had a, a moment of, you know, like, I could be a stay-at-home mom. Like we can, we can financially make it work in this household. And you know, I'm fortunate enough to, to have my partner working from home remotely. And so, you know, there was a possibility that you know I really thought like I could make this stay-at-home mom thing work for a little bit. So yeah, I decided to like fully quit my job and um and transition to being stay-at-home full time, which is what I've been doing, um since the babies were born. So, so that was very unexpected. Um. I do like to talk to my friends from like growing up and stuff like that and say like, like I'm from small town, Wisconsin, like who, who had on their bingo card that I was going to be married, living in LA, a stay at home mom of twins. Like literally no one could have guessed this. I spent my entire life telling people I was never going to get married and have kids. Like this is the furthest possible thing. So, um, I spent my twenties being like a total careeraholic. So yeah, this is just a very shift, uh, very uh, significant transition from where I thought my life would be. <laughs> and why I love this part of your story is because this is a conversation that I have with so many of my clients, because I find that during pregnancy, people come to me with what appear to be extremely clear ideas of their future. And I have to find it within me to not come across as condescending (laughs) and say, oh, honey, you don't know what you don't know. But to say, I've seen frequently enough both sides of this equation. Somebody who believes that in their heart of hearts, they are meant to be a stay-at-home mom. And then suddenly they have a baby or babies in front of them and they go, holy shit, this isn't what I bargained for. I think I want to go back to work. Yep. And that's hard to accept because it makes you ask a lot of questions about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the opposite. I've seen hardcore professionals say, there is no way I would ever be a stay-at-home mom. And then their babies are born and they cry every day because they're worried about going back to work and then they don't go. I've seen it all. Um, well, and I, I also want to point out that I, that you were the one who perhaps pushed back the hardest on me for the idea of me not going back to work because you very wisely were like, 
you know, I've seen a lot of women go through this transition. I've talked to a lot of people about the transition back to work and how hard it is. And like, I want you, like going back to work is hard, but it's usually not as hard as you think it's going to be. And plenty of people do this transition and they make it through just fine. So like, I don't want you to quit your job just because you're worried about like that step of having to go back to work. So that was yeah, like, you really you, like you hammered that home with me, which was very helpful. It helps me to like really reconsider like, why are the reasons I'm doing this? Well, it's interesting because I think for me, where I sat at the time, you had this sweet opportunity that a lot of people don't have, which is the opportunity to go part-time from home. And I was like, oh, I don't want you to lose that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you had to be really darn sure, right? Um, But you got there and we just like continued to unpack and unpack. And I'm sure you did like 20 million times more unpacking with Blake, right? Um, So you guys came to the Mm -hmm. place that you came to. and we'll, we'll come back to this. We can, we, I don't want to go down this road just yet, but I, I love the day that you said, hey, can we have a chat? Because I think I want to do this kind of doula work stuff. And that was such a fun moment for me. Uh, but before that, one of the things we really haven't talked about yet that I think we really should unpack in a big way is I want you to tell your breastfeeding journey story, like mm-hmm. fairly completely, because I think there are a lot of people in your camp and they just don't know how to feel about the choices that they've made or how they got there. They don't know whether they should be super proud or if it means that they didn't do a good job at this other thing called breastfeeding. Um, And you not only navigated that with incredible grace, you created a little bit of a philosophy and a method around it that um, I've not seen from other people. And Mm. I think people can really learn a lot from you. Yeah, absolutely. So first, let me just like define what I'm saying and like what I mean when I say, so when I'm talking about breastfeeding, I'm talking about any way that breast milk gets delivered to a baby. So like bottle feeding, nursing, pumping, whatever. So breastfeeding encompasses all of that for me. When I say specifically nursing, I'm talking about bringing a baby to the breast, right? So bringing a baby to a chest, that's what I refer to when I refer to as nursing. And then obviously pumping, using a pump to express milk. So when, um, so I initially started with, uh, when the babies were born, one baby was with me in recovery and the other baby was in the NICU for the duration of the time we were in the hospital. Thankfully, um, she had a very quick recovery and we were able to all go home together after five days. Um, so that was wonderful. Um, but, uh, that meant I had one baby with me who we were able to attempt nursing with on a regular basis. And then I had one baby who, you know, I could only attempt nursing when I was up in the NICU combined with a really rough recovery from that C-section in which I was very immobile. And so the entire five days here in the hospital, I was only able to go to the NICU twice. Um, and the rest of the time, Blake spent a lot of time up in the NICU with Gabby, our baby who was up there. Um, cause I just like, I wasn't mobile, like it didn't matter, you know, it was just going in a wheelchair and getting wheeled up there. And even that was too much for me to handle during that phase of my recovery. Um, so, and also my babies were born at 36 weeks again, like scheduled, like monodi twins need to come out early. That's just the way it works because the placenta deteriorates rapidly and like no longer is serving them at that point. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, we had a scheduled delivery at 36 weeks. So I have tiny little preemie babies born a month early, ones in the NICU, ones with me, as you can imagine, like nursing was not very successful (laughs) in those early days. Um, 
you know, I'd given an attempt at every feeding. It was mostly me just like hand expressing into Danny's mouth and then her like, you know, licking up a little bit of it and then me giving her a bottle because I had walked into this twin delivery saying like, I'm fine with formula. Like I can't have the pressure on myself of exclusive breastfeeding. Like I'm fine with formula. So um, we introduced it, I don't know, maybe like day two, like pretty early on. Day one for Gabby because I wasn't able to be up there with her in the NICU. Um, so yeah, it really was just like, whatever, I'm doing the best I can. I'm not going to stress too much about it. And so then started pumping in the hospital so that I could, you know, um, you know, get everything going. I had to relieve engorgement because, you know, a baby was not doing that for me. Um, and kind of got into that routine of like the, you know, quote unquote triple feed where we would, I, we would try and nurse and then we'd give the baby a bottle and then I would pump and that would happen at every feed every three hours. So the lactation consultant who sent me home, uh, like gave a hint of it, but not enough of a hint of what I needed in which she was like, okay, so triple feeding twins is going to be a lot for you. So, you know, just make sure you take it easy on yourself. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like I've been doing it for five days in the hospital, like whatever, it's fine. It's a routine. And then of course it's like, I've been doing it in a hospital where like someone's delivering me my food and I have a nurse around the clock taking care of me and I, and I only have one baby with me. Like, of course it's going to look way different. So once I got home, it was like immediately unsustainable. <laughs> like absolutely cannot do this at every feed. Um, so I was working virtually with lactation consultant from you, Tanya, who, Dana, is that right? Yeah, her yeah. name is Dana Hilsenrath. She is an awesome lactation consultant out of Westchester County, New York. Her practice is called Westchester Lactation, I believe. I will get that in the show notes for you. She's also in Thriving After Birth. And um, I kind of have her on to talk about twins because she herself is also a twin mom who had babies in the NICU and all of that stuff. So she brings a really personal um, expertise. But while I'm thinking about it, remind mm -hmm. me if I have this right. You worked with an IBCLC in the hospital. Yes. At some point, you did have someone come to your home, right? Yes. But they mm -hmm. were a bit older. Okay. Because I'm remembering that part of the story. So it was the IBCLC in the hospital first, Dana virtually next. Yes. And that's the point you're at. And then you'll get to the other one mm -hmm. later. Okay, yep. cool. Back to you. So, yeah, the virtual work that Dana did with me was really helpful, mostly because, you know, obviously, like, as a twin parent, she's able to, you know, very realistically speak with me about, you know, what these next few days can look like. And so, you know, she kind of helped me talk through some pumping stuff, you know, some schedule with feeding, all that kind of stuff. And, and then just realistically was like, listen, triple feeding twins, like you're not going to be able to sustain it for long, especially because you don't have extra help at home. It's you and your partner and that's it. She's like, so here's what you need to do. You need to try nursing once a day. Like, that's it. Like, <laughs> like attempt to nurse babies like once a day. And then if you're up for more, awesome. If not, like try once a day and like, that'll be enough for you to keep at it for your babies to keep getting to the chest and like attempting and other than that, you focus on just pumping and feeding your babies. So I want to chime in real quick because you're bringing something up that I think everyone could benefit from. And this is for providers and for clients. Everyone needs to think about this more. When babies are born preterm, we want to think about them in terms of their gestational age and, and not in terms of their birth age. So when Kristen had two-week-old babies, we want to think of those babies as negative two weeks. Yep. <laughs> and that is a, a that not only helps us understand what babies are sometimes capable of physiologically, but it also allows us to give ourselves cut ourselves some slack, so to speak. 
because we start to immediately say things like, well, why can't I get this right? And or why can't my baby do this? But you know what? If you think about the fact that maybe your baby should ideally still be inside being fed through its umbilical cord, we can give everybody some grace around what's happening. And so if I recall, that was part of Dana's logic was these babies have a great chance of growing into these skills, but not today. And it's not sustainable. Well, and also the idea that like any attempt at nursing was exhausting for them. You know, like any attempt at not getting their food delivered through the bottle was just like so tiring for them that, you know, what, how is that serving anyone to have me be super frustrated with these babies at my chest and not successfully feeding and have them be exhausted by the process? So, you know, it, so, so yeah, so we set the realistic expectation. We're going to try nursing once a day. Um, and even that, like, which seems like really rational and really reasonable, after like two days, I was like, I can't do it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, it's too hard. I can't do it. It's too exhausting. And so so basically at that point, I just was like, I'm just going to focus on pumping and I'm going to come back to nursing later. But right now, like I just am in survival mode where I need to get milk out of my body and I need to get milk and formula in their mouths. And like, I'm going to do that the most efficient way possible, which right now is pumping. Um, and then, uh, and then there was a meandering journey with thrush multiple times and that <laughs> caused quite a delay in the process as well. Um, but uh, essentially that ended up being what we did. And then I think the babies were like a month old when I had the other lactation consultant come over. Um, yeah, a month or two old. It was somewhere around there. And so, um, it was definitely before you were eight weeks postpartum because okay. it's in my notes from our sessions. We were discussing it at your eight week postpartum visit. Yeah. So I think it's when they were about a month old. So like about four weeks, um, when they were approximately full term that I had an in-person lactation consultant come over who also is a mom to twins. <laughs> so she was also a very helpful resource. Um, and so she, uh, she was able to come in and help me um, primarily. She came in first to help me with pumping. Like I was just like, listen, like I'm using the hospital pump that I've rented. I want to try and switch over to my other pump. I'm so overwhelmed by just the concept of having to switch anything that I'm doing with my process. Um, I was using the wrong size phalanges, you know, like all sorts of things. So she, she was able to come and help me just be that in-person, you know, you're doing this right. You're doing this wrong. Let's figure this out. Let's figure this out. Blah, blah, blah. So she was super, super helpful, helped me just with pumping first and then came back for another session to help me with nursing. Um, that was the only, when she was there was the only time that I've tandem nursed my twins, which was an extremely special experience and I get very emotional thinking about. Um, but, you know, so she was able to, you know, get both of those babies situated and get them both latched on and we did like, you know, one tandem nursing session it was beautiful and I took pictures and I remember it fondly forever. Um, but, you know, with her, it was really helpful for her to say, first of all, she was able to say like, yes, you definitely have thrush, which Tanya confirmed and someone from my OB's office said I didn't. Um. Yeah, it was tough, though, because <laughs> I'm telling you that I think you have thrush virtually. Yes. yes. <laughs> and then then you're told you don't have thrush. And then the lactation consultant comes and says you have thrush. It's you like, definitely have thrush. Ay, ay, ay. Crazy. Yeah. Um, so, and not my OB. My OB is great and I love her. The OB who I happened to see on this day who was available told me I did not have thrush and I definitely did. A very frustrating process. However, um, so yeah, she was, you know, she confirmed in person that I did have thrush. I was able to, you know, obviously get some treatment for that, which was helpful. Um, 
but essentially after that point, it was like I was healing from thrush. So nursing was not a possibility. My nipples were so sore, so itchy, like, and my babies were not good at latching. And so trying to get them to latch on a thrush nipple, like absolutely not. Um, and Tell everybody what your favorite tool was while you were healing from thrush that remained with you for a little while. Do you oh know what God. I'm thinking of? My silverettes. <laughs> oh my God. My silverettes. Okay. If anyone doesn't know who these are, what these are, it, they're basically, I call them nipple caps. They're nipple caps. They're made of silver and you just like pop them on top of your nipples to give them a little bit of protection and healing. And most people use them like when their nipples are raw, you know, like, you know, when they need like a little extra protection, a little coverage and the silver is, you know, like healing properties, whatever. So uh, most people use them like temporarily. I, however, <laughs> used my silverettes every single day for the rest of my, my breastfeeding journey um, because with exclusively pumping, my nipples were just like so sensitive all the time. Like it wasn't painful, you know, like. I wasn't using the wrong phalanges. I wasn't pumping too hard, like nothing like that. They weren't painful. They were just so sensitive. Like any fabric touching my nipples was really uncomfortable. So I just realized like, okay, I'm just going to wear these silver cups in my bra every single day while I'm breastfeeding. And that's what I ended up doing. So I just kind of had like crazy looking nipples the entire time that I was breastfeeding, like under my shirt because, because I had these silver cups in there permanently. Um, but they were absolutely essential and I don't think they're necessary for everyone, but I think for exclusive pumping people, I do feel like they are essential. <laughs> yeah. They're not for everyone. That's for sure. But what I love this, that little tidbit really encapsulates why I think you have a unique story to share. You brought a spirit of experimentation, which I try to impart upon people a lot because I think ex having a spirit of experimentation in the early days postpartum is for me the easiest way to embody that each of these moments is not forever because Absolutely. it is so easy when something hurts or is difficult or we're exhausted to think this is the rest of my life. Like you can intellectually know that's not true, but in your heart and body and some weird part of your mind, you don't believe that part of your brain. Yep. <laughs> Um, and if we bring a spirit of experimentation to the whole process, we know that something new is coming tomorrow. And in your case, one of the only things that stuck with you was silverettes. And yes. okay, great, of all <laughs> the things. So it just goes to show how much variation there is and all the creative ways in which people can find a way to survive whatever oddity. Because somebody else might have said, well, if nothing can touch my nipples, that's fabric, I have to just stop doing this. That yeah. might have been what somebody else would do. And a lot of people probably. Right. Right. And or just the idea that, you know, people tell you like pumping shouldn't hurt, like all this kind of stuff. So it, I think it'd be really easy to interpret that as like, oh, my nipples yes. are really sensitive. That means they're hurting. That means I'm doing this wrong. That means I'm going to give up. Right. Like I understand where that mentality, especially because the majority of people who are pumping are not doing it exclusively. So the messaging out there is not for exclusive pumpers. It's for people who are pumping, you know, twice a day at work kind of thing. So no. Yeah. And it's also a moment for people to remember that anytime you hear a tone of absolutism, you want to take it with a grain of salt and say that cannot be true for all people at all times. Yep. Right. So when someone says the word never or always, all your little bells and whistles should be going off. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I'm thinking through just like so much of with, I mean, I think this applies to like all breastfeeding and nursing in general, but I think particularly with exclusive pumping because it is a unique way of breastfeeding that not many people do. You know, I think there's constantly this like, 
detective work that needs to be done of, you know, why does this feel uncomfortable today when it was fine yesterday? I, um, my friend who you also have worked with Divya, she is exclusively pumping right now. And, and just the other day texted me saying, Hey, like, like, did you ever have, like, I think it might be thrush or like, I'm not sure, like blah, 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 went through symptoms. I was like, no, it doesn't sound like thrush. Cause you're not experiencing this, this, this. I was like, uh, let's talk through like, what have you done differently? Right. And turns out it was a pumping bra. She like wore a different pumping bra the day before. And I was like, you know what? That was enough for me often to like put on a different pumping bra and then it like didn't have the exact right fit against my chest. And then that was enough for my nipples to be really sore the next day. Right. And like, I only found that out through experimentation and through, you know, like trying to piece the puzzles together, detective work of, you know, what did I do differently? What, how do things look different today? So again, I think like if you don't have the energy for that, understandable, right? And if you don't like want to spend your time doing that, I totally get it. But this just happens to be how my brain works and how I've spent the majority of my career. (laughs) So, so it really worked well for me. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I I took you out on a little bit of a tangent and I want to make sure that we get you back to where you were because I think it's a critical part of your story. You're at the point where you know you need to move off of the hospital grade pump and figure out your own pumping situation. And that is part of, I think, one of the more interesting parts of your story. So pick back up there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, like most people had a Spectra, right? Just like a standard Spectra that I got from insurance. Um, And so I was trying to transition off of that and was very intimidated by the process just because, again, I'm exhausted. Like, I don't have any spare brain energy to spend on this process. Um, But my lactation consultant, Lisa, really helped me, you know, make sure my Spectra was set up correctly and helped me with the settings on that um, so that I could feel comfortable transitioning over. And and so, you know, I just kind of did that, like, I would do it for a couple pumps a day. I would switch over to the Spectra as opposed to the Medela kind of thing. And then eventually was able to just move fully over. Um, and then I also had like a hand-me-down pump I got from someone. It's a Hygieia Enjoy, I think that's what it's called, um, that I've never heard of, but it was actually a really lovely pump that uses Medela parts. So it was very easy for me to transition. And I ended up just like finding a, an odd system that works that I would just continually adjust where I would use one pump sometimes, one pump another times. I got an LV pump for a while because I wanted to try and be more mobile, obviously, because it's very hard to take care of two babies while being attached to a pump. Um, the LV pump I was not a fan of in the long run, but you know it served its purpose for a very short amount of time, and then I sold it for what I bought it for, so I felt okay with, with that transition. Um, but you know, it just it ended up being it's just a very gradual process of figuring out like what pump serves me best at what times. You know, what parts do I have available for the pumps? What things can I supplement so that things are interchangeable between the pumps? You know, it was just like, just this constant work of um, fine tuning and nitpicking and figuring out how to make things work so that it fit best with my schedule and what I have available and like doing dishes and not having to wash pump parts constantly all day and that kind of thing. You also had a really interesting wheelie cart situation that reminds me of how nurses wander around hospitals often. <laughs> yeah, I have that. I actually have two of them in my house now. One was like for diapers and the other was for pump stuff. But those little like three tier wheelie carts you can get from Ikea and Target, whatever. Um, I had one of those that I had set up with all of my pump stuff so that all I had to do was sit down on the couch and then I'd wheel it out from behind the couch. And then I had all my pumps ready to go. Um, 
basically like my living room was set up to be a pumping zone because that's where I was doing it all of the time and you know that's where I was taking care of babies and all that kind of stuff so it was all set up to be very mobile and accessible everything was plugged in on the cart so that I didn't have to you know mess with wires or anything and so it was set up to be very accessible and very user-friendly because I did not have any spare energy to care about getting things set up like that. <laughs> and that to me feels a little like the, I don't know if it was the beginning for you or not, but you ended up, I think, emphasizing the importance of self-care during pumping more than anyone I've ever known. So it's like Kristen found a way to make pumping more enjoyable by figuring out how to take care of herself while she was doing it. So what were some of those things that you routinely did? Absolutely. So let's see, what were some of the things I did? So I think a big part of it was just making sure I was physically comfortable. Um, because it was it's so easy when you're pumping to just hunch over and like sit leaning forward and look at your phone so your neck is down, right? There's so many things that just like the natural inclination is to just like set yourself up with a really uncomfortable position that is not going to serve you in the long run. So that was step one was like, I had a pillow set up that I do so that my pillows were always in the right configuration to make sure that my, I was sitting, you know, as upright as possible um, and all that sort of stuff. I got myself like a phone tripod so that I could like watch things on my phone without holding it so that it would sit on my coffee table and I'd be able to sit upright and not have my neck hunched over. Um, um, <laughs> the one that I know you're referring to is later on, I got a foot bath. <laughs> so that... Yes, that's it. It's the foot bath and it's the um, really comfy headphones. Oh, the headphones, yeah. So I have... <laughs> I have a set of sleep headphones that I've used forever and ever because I, like, I need to sleep with something playing in my ears or fall asleep with something playing in my ears. So they're, they're like a very comfortable fabric um, headband with you know headphones that live within there. And so I will put those on instead of putting in earbuds because I just don't like wearing earbuds for long periods of time. So I'd put those headphones on so it was nice and comfy around my head and with my foot bath. So yeah, it was a very elaborate setup, um, but it absolutely worked to just like have me be in a more comfortable space as opposed to, uh, I mean, cause like it was already enough of a pain in the butt to be like, oh, I have to pump again. Like, oh my God, it's been four hours already. Oh my God, it's been like, oh, like, okay, fine. I got to pump again. So I at least needed to make sure that my physical body was comfortable in the space and that I was doing everything possible to help me um, get through those 20 minutes or whatever it was in, in a way that, you know, was restorative as opposed to like draining more out of me. And that's really important because if you are gritting and bearing it, you yes. are changing your hormonal profile in such a way that doesn't promote optimal milk, not only production, but excretion excretion is not the word i'm looking for <laughs> yeah. Expulsion. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's not right either there's another e-word that's not coming to me <laughs> but yeah just the idea that milk ejection that's the word i was milk looking ejection. for there you go <laughs> um okay but yeah even i actually i talked about this with uh with dana when we were um when i did my virtual uh consultations with her over lactation stuff 
where, you know, she was just like, whatever you need to do to make your setup more comfortable, right? So, you know, she had, like, things like not counting the ounces as you're pumping, right? Because, like, the more you stress out about the ounces and, like, that's all I'm getting this pumping set, you know, like, the more I was stressing about that, the harder it was for me to have letdowns, right? So it's, like, obviously, you know, it's a vicious and cycle. So one of the tricks for that, for listeners, is baby socks up mm-hmm. over the bottles. Don't even look at it. Just wait till you're done pumping to figure all that stuff out. Yeah, and also the thing that I did is, like, I just stopped tracking my output altogether. You know, there are apps out there where you can track how much you're pumping every session, and and I just found that, like, any amount of tracking that I did would, you know, send me into a tailspin of, like, oh, well, I had two less ounces this session than I did yesterday, and so was I not drinking enough water? You know, And, like, sometimes the answer is, oh, no, you just didn't make more milk today. Like, <laughs> like there's not always a formula for it. And so really, like for me, it was no tracking whatsoever. And we live in an era where it's so unusual not to track. As I sit here with my Apple Watch tracking every single little thing I'm doing, right? Every breath I'm taking, every heartbeat I have, and I'm like fascinated by the data. And yet I understand that this isn't always helpful. Um, So yeah, I think it's important that we unplug uh, when it comes to this kind of stuff too, not just unplug with our iPads and technology and all of that stuff. My, my friend, um, Ronnie, who's a stay-at-home dad who has a baby about the same age, so we spent a lot of time together, um, <laughs> he, um, he previously worked as an analyst, and so obviously, like, data has been his career, and he frequently says, when it comes to babies, he's just like, you know, sometimes the data is just bad data, right? <laughs> it's like, there isn't always, there isn't always, like, something to crack from the data, and that's really hard for people who love data and love analyzing that kind of yeah. stuff. He's like, sometimes it's just bad data. Sometimes it just yep. is what it is, and you're not learning anything from it. So when you're not learning learn anything, from... why do you have it? Totally. And what I think we need to do is there's a place for data in the early days, but even then we're looking for patterns, right? So whether we're talking about peas and poops or our milk supply, we're looking for patterns. And one time of an anomaly does not make a pattern, right? And I usually get Mm -hmm. an anxious text message or phone call or whatever around the time of some sudden change or difference. And I can tell you now, almost always, if somebody tells me something one time, I'm not going to get my knickers in a twist, right? We're going to look at the future. And almost always, it reverts back to something baseline or better than baseline, right? Uh, It just sorts itself out. Um, Okay, Kristen, as we start to move towards wrapping up, first, I just want to say you are going to be such an incredible resource to people. I cannot wait to see the impact that you have on your community as you grow your practice. And that's what I want to wrap up talking about. I want to... I want you to take us back to the days leading up to or how, whatever the process was before you called me and said, I think I want to do this. What was going on in your mind as you were making that potential professional shift? And then give us an update on your learning and how it is that you are going to set yourself apart from others, because I already know what some of those ways are, but I want you to share it with us. Yeah, absolutely. So I think... Um... A big thing was, you know, just trying to figure out, like, my next chapter. Like, I'm not eager to get back into the workforce. I'm not, you know, looking for full-time jobs anytime soon. Um, But I am looking for something that, like, fits my lifestyle with, you know, being home with my babies the majority of the time. And, you know, like, looking for more of a 
freelance type position, right? So like something that offers a little bit more flexibility that will serve me until, you know, my kids are at an older age and we have a more reliable schedule. And so starting to think through what that looked like, I just like, I see the big gap in postpartum care that I know obviously you do and that's why you do this work. Um, but there's just this massive gap of, um, of people not preparing for postpartum, people not thinking about postpartum, people having bad experiences with postpartum because they didn't know what to expect and they don't have people to support them. And then of course, you know, like just in general capitalism and individualistic society and all that sort of stuff that leads to people not having their community and their support network and their village around them. And so to me, that was a really compelling space um, to think about like, how can I be a part of that? And how can I be a part of a solution to that? Because of course, I'm not coming in like you, I'm not a medical professional, right? I haven't been doing, I haven't been a nurse, I haven't been, you know, a midwife, I haven't been doing this work for decades. And so um, me thinking through like, what can I be doing in a non-medical aspect of, um, you know, making sure that people are having more guidance during this time. So I do think the the world of like postpartum doula is really, really interesting. Um, because it's specifically meant to just be a support, you know, like the job can be anything. It can, you know, some postpartum doulas like spend all their energy, like cooking and cleaning and laundry and like just making sure your house is running. Some postpartum doulas really focus on like emotional support of the family. Some postpartum doulas focus more on the baby and making sure their newborn care is being taken care of. You know, there's really like an endless possibility of what this job can look like depending on the person and on the family they're working with. And so I think that's really compelling um, to just like be able to take your individual skill set and apply it to a situation where, you know, people need support. Um, so, yeah, so I um, I ended up signing up for um, Erica Davis and I want to make sure I get the name right. Whole Body Pregnancy, I believe, is the name of her company. Um, so she's doing uh, she does childbirth education for birth doulas and then she also does postpartum education for postpartum doulas and I liked that it was specifically a postpartum doula class because I'm frankly just like not interested in birth doulas like (laughs) it's just like not my space and um not the world I'm interested in and so I'll leave that to all the amazing post birth doulas who are already out there um so I really wanted something that would focus specifically on postpartum doulas and um I love her course. It's been, we're almost done. We have a couple weeks left, but her course has been super, super great. If there's anyone who's interested in that world, I highly recommend checking her out. Um, Cause it's just like, it's, it's, first of all, it's like very, um, it's very people of color, queer focused, right? So we um, talk a lot about, you know, there was a whole class on how to support like trans non-binary clients, like, uh, you know, how you can make sure that you're, creating a welcoming and inclusionary practice, like all that kind of stuff. Um, spend a lot of time talking about the emotional support of the family. Um, you know, like it's not a course that's focused on like, here's how the best way to change a diaper, right? Like we're not talking about like basic newborn care and stuff. This is very like lofty next level. Like what are we doing philosophically to support the family? Um, so it's been a really awesome course and I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, through there, it's just been, uh, it's been great to think about like, yeah, what is it that I have to offer families? What is it that I have to offer birthing folks who are, you know, recently postpartum and, you know, obviously twins, that's the first one, (laughs) like anyone with a multiple birth, like I'm right there with you. Like, absolutely. It's a very different world than a single baby. And so like, you know, I can help you navigate that. Um, and then, uh, 
anyone, you know, who pumping in general, just like anyone who is pumping, like I'm your person, like I am not a lactation consultant, right? Like I have no certificate as, as far as that is concerned, but the knowledge that I have of the world of pumping is, is very extreme. <laughs> so, so I am more than happy to help people with their pumping journeys because I know that that's a thing that even a lot of lactation consultants like don't necessarily have a ton of experience in or like are necessarily that helpful with. Um, yeah, there's a lot of variation in lactation consultants yes. when it comes to getting help with something other than putting the baby to the breast, right? Yes. And I happen to work with a team of people that are excellent at that and supportive of that, but you don't always see that. So it's not a one size fits all approach. Yep, absolutely. So yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously anything to do with pumping, I'm definitely there for support. And then I think also just like, I'm, as we talked about, like I'm a very logistically minded person. I've worked in operations for most of my career. And so um, thinking through like how we can streamline your household and your systems and your process so that you um, are expending as little excess energy as possible. And, you know, as like very like Marie Kondo-esque, right? Like let's get rid of the stuff that isn't sparking joy right now. <laughs> let's like make sure we're staying focused on the things that we actually, you know, want to be doing in these early days. So, you know, obviously I know our energy for like organization and, and that kind of stuff is limited in our early days of postpartum. But I think just being able to have a fresh eye come into your space when you are exhausted and sleep deprived and like not thinking straight, a fresh eye being able to come in and say like, oh, hey, did you think about maybe like moving the drying rack over here and then you'd be able to have more space over here to prep your parts? You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff, right? Just there's little things that can be done in people's households that can help streamline the process and help you move along um, so that you can see what that looks like. I also think another thing that I am uniquely able to help support with, although not through my own doing, is helping partners support their birthing partners. Um because I think like non-gestational partners, whoever that is in your household, I think there is a serious lack of resources for them as well um, for helping them figure out like, who am I in this current space? Like, who do I, like, what do I do? What is my purpose? Like, I'm not producing milk, so my baby doesn't need me to feed most of the time. Like, I, you know, like, I guess I change diapers. Like, I don't, you know, there's just a, I think there's a, a lot of people out there who flounder in that space when you introduce a new life into this household um, and you don't necessarily have a clear role for yourself anymore. And I think my, my expertise comes not from me, but from my partner, Blake, who um, is just like dad extraordinaire and in, is the best and is amazing and kept us all alive for the past 16 months. <laughs> so um, I have... So many memories of the amazing things he did. And for whatever reason, the one that rises to the surface for me always is picturing him bringing babies to work. I mean, within yes. your own home. But as he transitioned back into work and your needs were still extremely great. I mean, he obviously works with an amazing team. Yes. But he was literally working with at least one twin on his lap yes. <laughs> for a period of time. And you guys just, you guys did so much better than just survive. Yeah, like especially before, before they were old enough to sleep train when I still wasn't comfortable with that. And, you know, it took a lot of work to get them down for naps during the day. There were approximately half of Blake's meetings were conducted with him wearing a baby in a stretching wrap that he was bouncing to sleep and then, you know, sitting at his desk and working with a sleeping baby right here. So God bless stretchy wraps. Those things really saved us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys are amazing. And I'm so happy for your part of LA 
to welcome you into the birth world. Um, and you've given me, you've given me so much to think about, um, in terms of the ways in which midwives need to be working carefully and closely with the people who have boots on the ground because, okay, I'm over, I'm working virtually often and that's one thing, but even midwives and OBs and anyone who takes care of birthing people, when you're in the office and you're in the system, the structure that the system creates, you don't really have your boots on the ground either. Um, and we just desperately need to be working carefully and closely with people who are willing to do the day in, day out stuff because the vast majority of us, and this was me until about four years ago, we don't have all the answers to these day in and day out questions. I went on a massive quest to fill this gap, but it is not what most of us healthcare providers know deeply and know well. Um, and it's the, it's the doulas who are in people's homes who know this stuff. Um, and so I'm just, I'm super excited to have you be part of this world. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, very quick plug. So my Instagram, if you want to follow is twin dot postpartum dot doula twin postpartum doula. <laughs> so I'll that, put it in the show notes. That's my professional Instagram. You can go ahead and find that one. Um, and then same for our website, twin postpartum doula.com. I know it's really long, but you know, like there are a lot of, there are a lot of doulas out there. <laughs> the combinations are limited. No, but yours is it, long or not. It says exactly what you need. It exactly. To say. It tells Your audience you. knows exactly who they are. <laughs> it's perfect. I exactly. love it. So you know exactly what you're getting when you, when you go to either of those locations. So yeah, feel free to check me out at either of those. And, um, yeah. And if you're in the Los Angeles area and you any know any folks who, um, who are, are, postpartum recently or not recently um that's actually been a topic of conversation in our postpartum course recently about how um erica the person who leads the course she is i believe like 10 months postpartum right now and she's like i need a person now more than ever like you know like postpartum's forever man like it's a forever period and um yeah and thinking about my 16 month olds right now and you know teething with molars like yeah i could use someone right now <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, any uh, birthing people in your lives who could use some at-home support, definitely um, feel free to send them my way. I love it. Postpartum's forever, and welcome to the birth world, Kristen Ross. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, and a gentle reminder that nothing we discuss on this show should ever be considered medical advice. Please speak to your local provider about anything that comes up in this show that resonates with you and your needs and your health care. Hey everyone, it's me, Tanya, your host here at the Motherwit Podcast. You know I sometimes invite my clients on the show to talk about their birth stories and postpartum experiences, but I want to tell you a little bit more about what those clients and I actually do together. I started Motherwit to help people in the perinatal period achieve their health and wellness goals. That means whether you're hoping to conceive and struggling with high blood pressure or high blood sugar, or you're having trouble managing anxiety or depression in the postpartum period, or maybe you just need support and advocacy between prenatal or postpartum visits, I can help. Get a discount on your first consultation with me at motherwitmaternity.com using the code FIRSTCONSULT10% OFF. That's one zero percent symbol, all one word. I'm looking forward to working with you and maybe having you on the show too.
everyone, it's me, Tanya, your host here at the Motherwit Podcast. You know I sometimes invite my clients on the show to talk about their birth stories and postpartum experiences, but I want to tell you a little bit more about what those clients and I actually do together. I started Motherwit to help people in the perinatal period achieve their health and wellness goals. That means whether you're hoping to conceive and struggling with high blood pressure or high blood sugar, or you're having trouble managing anxiety or depression in the postpartum period, or maybe you just need support and advocacy between prenatal or postpartum visits, I can help. Get a discount on your first consultation with me at motherwitmaternity.com using the code FIRSTCONSULT10% OFF. That's one zero percent symbol, all one word. I'm looking forward to working with you and maybe having you on the show too.